On this week's Behind the Idea, we jump right into the long case for a beloved dividend company and a notorious corporate name, Altria, ticker symbol MO. We speak with Atlas Research about his bull case for Altria as a stock that will beat the S&P 500 in the years to come. There are the recent concerns around vaping, the breakup of the Philip Morris merger, and the ESG angles and squeamishness around owning a tobacco stock. Depending on your predilection, that's either a recipe to stay away or the very reason to buy. Atlas is on the long side and makes the case as we grill him on this week's Behind the Idea. Welcome to Behind the Idea. I'm Mike Taylor. And I'm Daniel Schwartzman. Today we are welcoming Seeking Alpha author Atlas Research to discuss his recent Seeking Alpha Pro Plus top idea on Altria, ticker symbol MO. Atlas Research thinks fears of a regulatory crackdown on vaping are overblown and that Altria is actually in a win-win position with respect to nicotine products. Meanwhile, the stock is really cheap. Before we get to the conversation, Behind the Idea is the podcast that looks at ideas from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem to find out what makes great investment analysis work. I have no positions in MO, Daniel does not either, and Atlas Research is long the stock as well as range resources, which may come up in our conversation. As always, nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. Finally, Behind the Idea is brought to you by Seeking Alpha Pro Plus. Pro Plus subscribers got an early look at Atlas Research's top idea, and they get a lot of alerts and exclusives on Seeking Alpha's best research offerings. To find out more, go to seekingalpha.com slash proplus. That's seekingalpha.com slash P-R-O-P-L-U-S. But with that, uh, welcome Atlas. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, it's great to have you. You know, you might say that Atlas didn't shrug about Altria. <laughs> you have pretty high conviction Ooh. about this. <laughs> you have some conviction here. Uh, before we get into some of our questions, can you just give us a quick recap of the general idea? Yeah, so there's actually a, a few things going on with the stock. You know, the first, if you look at the chart of the last couple of years, the real peak was in mid 2017. And that was, you know, there's a couple of things that that first peak where the stock sold off, I think it was July or June 27th was the exact date, because that was when the former FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb first came out with this idea of shifting the regulatory sort of agenda towards cracking down on cigarettes and opening up the window for vaping. And at the time, Altria was a minuscule player in the vaping space. And the idea, I think the big concern in the marketplace back then was this idea of a nicotine cap on the, you know, on traditional tobacco products. And that would have obviously, if you take away nicotine, the tobacco industry basically doesn't exist. I mean, that is what they are in the business of providing is nicotine. And so the stock peaked back then. And then the big decline more recently has come after Altria purchased a stake in Juul to try to kind of capture this new vaping trend that the FDA themselves kind of opened up with this new regulatory regime back in mid-2017. 
And admittedly, I think Altria, you know, way overpaid for Jewel, but we can, you know, dispute that based on whatever growth projections you might have for the space and for Jewel in particular. But that wasn't a necessarily, I mean, the stock initially sold off on that acquisition because I think everyone could tell they, I think they valued the company at something like 40 times earnings or 20 times, 20 times sales, I think was the metric. So since then, the stock started to recover because obviously Juul is becoming a dominant player in vaping. And there was, you know, there was upside from that acquisition, assuming you, you know, recovered from the overprice that they paid for it. And then more recently, there's been a big backlash against vaping. So the the FDA is kind of reversed and policymakers across the spectrum, state governors, even President Trump has now come out. And there's, you know, there's two main things people are concerned about, which is one, this recent epidemic of lung illnesses that no one really knows what it's tied to yet, but there's, it's implicating the traditional, you know, nicotine vaping products is getting caught up in that headline fear that people think these are more dangerous than they previously thought. And then the second big problem is more and more teenagers are using vaping products. And um, I think the vaping rate among high school students has doubled in just the last two years. So for these two reasons, basically regulators are now really cracking down on the space and there's fears of if an outright ban possibly, or even just cracking down on flavors. So Altria has been under pressure because, you know, they just paid 12.6 billion for their jewel stake at an extreme you know valuation. And it now looks like that's going to get written down significantly, I think. And so there's just a lot of headline fear associated with vaping that's pushed the stock down uh, over the last six months or so. Okay. So, and, but you're a bull on the stock, which means that I guess you think that some of the fear is overblown. What's the sort of forward look here? Yeah. So the bottom line for me is regardless of what happens with vaping, the traditional tobacco business you know, is, is probably going to benefit from any crackdown that they do impose on vaping because, you know, nicotine, as you probably know, is one of the most addictive chemicals out there. And so you've now got millions of Americans, some of a, a proportion of whom vape exclusively, and then another proportion use both cigarettes and vaping. So from my perspective, and that's what the article was about, was if you just look at the core cigarette business and you value it, you know, anywhere close to, or if you assume that they can just maintain the historical rate of profitability growth on that business, um, I think the valuation of the core tobacco business right now is compelling. And if you assume nothing from Juul and, you know, you can take the vaping regulations in one of two directions, either they regulators completely crack down and there's just an outright ban and the vaping industry dies which in my view is, a, is an altria investor purely from the economics. I think that is the best case scenario long-term for shareholders because that's just going to create decades of additional profit runway for this company just for the traditional tobacco business. Um, the second alternative is they do a harsh regulatory crackdown, but they allow the industry to exist. And I think in that case, Altria still wins because, and there's various reasons that I discussed in the article, but I think Altria and Juul would thrive in a harsh regulatory environment. You know, for one, they already own 75% of the market and any additional regulations, you know, the rest of the market is kind of fragmented. There's one other big player, which is Views, which is owned by British American Tobacco. And the rest are just, you know, a smattering of small mom and pop operators just making, you know, one or two shops making maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in profits. And the the cost of these regulations are going to put 
probably 99% of those small businesses just out of business because they're not going to be able to afford to just the basic regulatory requirements that I think are coming. So it, in my view, you have two scenarios where regulations go with vaping and either one, I think Altria comes out on top. So one thing that struck us about this was kind of, this feels like a classic value setup where stock sells off big on fears about recent things in the news. In this case, Altria selling off on kind of fears around Juul and vaping and all of that. Does that concern you in any way that this just sort of seems like such an obvious value story? Is it possible that you're just missing something and the market's, uh, the market's been right about this? I say this as someone who feels like I've gotten burned on low PE long positions more often than I've succeeded lately. Oh yeah. I think I'm definitely in that camp with you where, you know, most I've, I've been burned myself, uh, most notably range resources and, you know, the entire oil and gas sector has appeared cheap for the last 18 months and it does nothing but just go down day after day. So yeah, there, there's always a possibility that I'm wrong. I, I start every investment thesis assuming I'm probably wrong. <laughs> But I think the difference. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to, if you're, you've been in this game long enough and you've been burned enough times, it's, you have to always be worried about, you know, the markets. I think the market's mostly efficient most of the time. Um, but in my view, you know, there's this idea out there that value investing is dead or that, you know, there's all these value stocks that are not going up in value, like energy, for example. Um, retailers and consumer packaged goods companies are another two sectors that come to mind. But I think the big difference between a lot of the so-called value stocks in the market today and in Altria is if you look at most of the low PE stocks, most of them, at least the ones that I've looked at, and I've, I'm always searching for value stocks. So I look at everything I can that seems cheap. I think those companies are all facing fundamental business headwinds that have lowered their return on capital, lowered their profit margins. Um, but in the case of Altria, you have a core business that's extremely profitable extremely capital efficient, um, very generous shareholder return program. And the reason why I, I'm so, you know, sort of excited about this particular idea is because none of that has changed in this example. Um, the underlying business, and it, the funny thing about all the headlines that have come out of the last six weeks or so about vaping and all the fears of, is Altria going to cut the dividend? Are they going to write down the jewel stake? All these fears that are swirling that I think are pushing the stock down you know, quietly in the background, management has come out and not only raised the dividend, but also upped their 2019 earnings guidance. And I just think that speaks to the fact that in this particular case, you have a lot of fear associated with the future of vaping, but the core business has never been, in my opinion, more profitable and more undervalued at the same time. And, you know, management is guiding towards ongoing profit growth just from the underlying tobacco business. And that's why I think Investors can basically just forget about Juul, assume a worst case scenario where they just write off the whole stake, which you know would be unfortunate. But even in that kind of ca catastrophic scenario, you still have a terrific business model that I think is extremely undervalued. You know, based on the current, uh, assuming there's no deterioration in the core underlying tobacco business is the big caveat there. Atlas, a question for you, just quickly trying to again sort of probe what might else be lurking. Has Altria or Juul been implicated at all with any of the 
there the recent reported deaths or any of the issues that people are having health issues is there any risk that you've seen as far as exposure liability risk that could like when we're trying to because you've made a route you know there's a compelling case here for the market cap has dropped even more than their jewel stakes worth and so even if that goes to zero they're fine but is there any risk of added liabilities or anything that you've been able to find yeah maybe jewel is worth less than zero yeah, that no, that is that's definitely a possibility for sure. As far as I know, and there's the CDC, which is the Centers for D- Disease Control, which is kind of leading this investigation. They haven't released a ton of details. They they keep coming out with new updates on like the number of injuries and some really high level statistics about. I think the latest I saw was seventy percent of the people that they've looked at with these illnesses were vaping THC products. And then I guess a small minority, somewhere in there, there's people that are doing vaping and nicotine. And then a small minority is just pure nicotine vapors. Um, And they made a point, and Altria has also come out and kind of said this, that none of these illnesses have been leaked exclusively to Juul. And I actually don't think that any of them have been linked to any specific branded product at all. I think it's just that they're they're not really implicating anyone yet. But that could happen and it could come out. I'm just personally not too worried about it because, you know, Juul's been selling these products for the last, I don't know, three and a half years. And when you have this kind of like there's people are, I think, conflating, there's a possibility that it turns out 10 or 15 and 20 years from now, we find out that these vaping products are causing long term, you know, illnesses like cancer and stuff like that. That's always a possibility. But in terms of like an acute outbreak, um, that's more often than not linked to, and the fact that these guys have been, people have been smoking these things for the last three and a half, four years with no issues. And they're also being sold overseas without any major outbreaks. So it kind of, you add it all up and it looks like the proximate cause is some sort of contamination. Somebody maybe black market products or cutting them down with, um, you know, filler products like to talk about in the oil and the article, the vi- vitamin E oils. Uh, you just kind of look at all the scope of the evidence. It looks like it's an acute outbreak linked to some kind of um, contaminated or, or whatever you want to describe it as people cutting down the the pure products. It's, but, but yeah, that is a possibility. Maybe we do find out that Juul is responsible for some of these deaths, but it just, the weight of the evidence isn't kind of pointing in that direction at, based on what we know now. So, Okay. So another sort of, again, just trying to stress test a lot of these different things. Another thing that came up is uh, recently is that the merger with Philip Morris was called off. And I'm just curious how much I get trying to think through other explanations. How much does that matter to your thesis? I mean, obviously it's off the table. Does that, is that a sign of anything? Is that inevitable that that was going to fall apart like is, does that have a factor here in terms of the dis the discount to fair value and anything that might cause it to reach that fair value going forward yeah i think some people were hopeful that they would there would kind of be a, a nice bid although i think the reports were that it was going to be a no premium takeout so there were I, i'm actually kind of happy that that bid didn't go through because I, if it would have been the Based on when the reports came out, I think there was they were talking about no premium over the last 30 days of the average price, which I think was around like $48 at the time. You know, I don't know exactly, you know, no one's going to really know for sure what discussions went on behind the scenes and 
maybe does that indicate there's something more fundamentally wrong with Altria's business model? Um, but personally, as long as we continue to see the underlying earnings of the tobacco business continue to do well, which they are, I would prefer not to be involved with a, a Philip Moritz merger because I think that I personally think Altria has the better business model. They're you know, they're participating in a market, which as I described in the article, they have really no fears of competition on the core tobacco business. And then now with the jewel stake, I don't think they have much to fear in the way of vaping competition. Um, they're sort of perfectly positioned in this just terrific, you know, oligopoly of tobacco business in the domestic US, which requires very minimal CapEx. It's a high margin, steady, their market share is almost guaranteed. It hasn't budged more than, you know, two or 3% in the last 20 years. Um, whereas Philip Morris is also a great company, but their model of overseas expansion has them for one, spending more money on investments, trying to grow the market, trying to compete against um, competitors in these other emerging markets that there are no barriers to entry. I mean, any it's, it's really not rocket science to come up with a cigarette and, you know, it's the design hasn't changed in the last 30 years. And so Philip Morris is competing against all these potential, you know, they have to guard market share, they have to invest, and it's a it's a less capital efficient business. And I think that's why Altria has not only generated higher returns, but has kind of had a higher multiple associated with it for the last 10 or 15 years before all this vaping stuff happened. And going forward, I would much rather just own Altria. I don't want to get involved with this big, high investment international tobacco business where it's, you know, maybe there's more growth there, but it's also a less profitable business, in my opinion. One thing that we're sort of circling around here is the idea of ESG investing. And also just for me personally, I look at this stock and I think about all the social externalities imposed on the world by Altria and that, you know, smoking is bad for you and it's addictive and all this stuff. What's your take on owning owning shares in a company that profits from so much addiction and misery? Well, I think, I mean, that's a fair question and it's, it's a fair criticism at the actual business model, which, you know, no one's going to deny that it's, you know, tobacco companies are associated with a lot of disease, death, misery probably in a lot of cases but i think the the bottom line is we live in a society that's you know supposedly free people have the choice to make these purchases to buy cigarettes i'm not a routine smoker but i have occasionally smoked cigarettes and i personally enjoy them that's not to say everyone should or it's not to say that addiction isn't a, a terrible thing but you know as long as we're living in a free society and we're going to allow people to make these choices i i don't think people should shy away from investing in the companies that provide these services, especially when, you know, I think the industry is moving towards a less harmful model. And whether it's vaping or the new Philip Morris IQOS device, I think that maybe there's a future where we can talk about consuming nicotine in a not so dangerous way. And maybe there's a way to eventually get to a point where it's it becomes like caffeine, where it's really not. I mean, the studies on nicotine itself as a pure chemical don't indicate this the same anywhere near the same level of disease and death that's created from just smoking you know physical tobacco leaves which most of that disease is caused by all of the byproducts i think there's 7000 byproducts created from lighting the physically lighting the tobacco on fire so i guess the the long-winded answer is i think that 
yes, there are problems with the business model, but a, I think we're moving in a direction where there, we might find out one day that there's a way to consume nicotine and it's a positive chemical because there are a lot of positive nootropic properties of the nicotine chemical. And, um, I just, I don't necessarily see the problem with investing in a company that is supplying what free citizens in a free country are choosing to consume necessarily. Yeah. Okay. So from the ethical perspective, that's one thing. Another thing that kind of bounces around my head as I'm going through my life in the world is just the concept of addiction more broadly. There's a perception out there, and I think there may even be studies to support that, you know, social media and a lot of and use of mobile phones and all this other stuff is addictive. And it almost seems like we've moved into a phase where business models are sort of more openly hinged. It's almost more desirable to have business models that are kind of predicated on some sort of form of user addiction. I wonder if that investment theme poses... the, The opportunity there is really obvious, right? Because you have lots of demand for whatever product or service the business is providing. I wonder if there's ever a turning point around uh, addiction-driven business models that poses a longer-term risk, whether we figure out ways to treat or prevent addiction in such a way that it's harmful to companies like Altria and therefore their shareholders. So not just the ethical perspective, which is one thing, but also just like the long-term risk, is there is there a state of the world where we kind of transcend addiction? I understand that this is a very abstract question, by the <laughs> way. I mean, yeah, I would I would love to believe that, you know, we could work to some sort of society where, you know, people don't suffer from, I think addiction is sort of a mental illness and I just, I lump it together with all of the other potential mental illnesses that you know, humans, beings are are naturally susceptible to. I don't know if there's an answer to that necessarily. I mean, I would love to think we could move society in a direction that way. But at the same time, the idea that I think if we naturally move that, so if people just decided to stop smoking cigarettes or to stop vaping or to stop gambling or drinking or whatever it is, yeah, that would be great for society. But at the same time, if, if we pursue a, you know, sort of a government forced direction where we start cracking down on businesses because you know we believe that they're harmful to people i don't know if i want to live in that society either um where it's you know we're being forced against doing things that we would otherwise naturally choose to do in a free society so yeah if if the world moved away from addiction that would be wonderful i just i think that the human brain you know it hasn't really changed much in the last hundred thousand years and i I don't i don't necessarily think we're going to move freely in that direction. And I, I'm, I'm more concerned about this idea of that people want to put forth government policies to crack down on things like that. That almost to me is a worse society to live in where you don't have free choice and you're kind of mandated to live a virtuous life. I think we've, we've tried various policies in the last hundred years, namely prohibition to kind of force people to, to live a more proper life. And it it usually always backfires in one way or another. And I think it's until the human mind changes, I don't necessarily see us naturally moving away from the kinds of things that, you know, for better or worse, we choose to do with, you know, under free will. 
So I guess I'm not too optimistic that we're going to move free freely in that direction, I guess is the short answer. Got it. Okay. Before we sound too much like we've been vaping ourselves, we can get to... So I think that segues into a little bit more concrete. One of the things I liked about your article was sort of the discussion of what happened in the 90s and how regulation and government intervention actually perversely marked a big opportunity for Altria. And I guess a similar structure may be playing out now. So, you talk a little bit about how potentially regulators might actually provide tailwinds for Altria. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if anyone, you know, I think this is where we you get you could go down the conspiracy route with really what happened between big tobacco and, and big government in the 1990s where... And You're vaping again. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out. Conspiracy theories. All right. Well, I, I purposely tried to avoid going down that path in the article. So hopefully I can avoid that this time. But I mean, if you just look at the structure of the agreement that they put in place, it, it's clear that not only did the government set the stage for big tobacco to thrive by, and if anyone is curious about the MSA agreement, the, the key clause in there was that there, every tobacco seller as of 1997 was basically forced to pay out these things called damages, which for, you know, on, they're on the order of tens of billions of dollars per year. Um, I think it's Altria's single biggest cost of doing business. They basically put it into cost of sales, but they do break it out in the 10K, how much they're actually paying. And it's it's over $2 billion a year just going to governments for these damages payments. And so it's what they the way they structured it was, it wasn't based on any analysis of public health costs, which that was the whole justification for the crackdown was that these companies were causing escalating costs to the public health, so they should pay for it, Right. But the the payment structure was not based on, you know, how many people got cancer, what's it going to cost us to treat them, all that kind of thing. It was just based on what your market share is currently. And if your market share happens to fall below the 1997 level, then your damages, one of your biggest costs of doing business is going to shrink at a faster rate than your market share loss. So the effect of that is, is that the big four tobacco companies had a government-sponsored, guaranteed sort of protection against their business. And any competitor that wanted to enter would have to face these onerous payments to be set aside for 25 years in escrow, which, you know, we, all we deal with as an investors is the time value of money. So you can just imagine, you know, having to set aside a big chunk of your cost into an escrow account for 25 years and not have access to it. Or the alternative would be you could avoid that by signing on to the agreement with the big four tobacco companies, but then you could only increase your market share up to, I think it was 125% of the 1997 level. And on 1997 levels, the big four owned about 99% of the market. So the mechanics were that the government structured sort of this protected industry, and it's proven out over time that you know none of the big tobacco companies have lost any meaningful market share. Meanwhile, they've been allowed to basically increase prices, you know, freely almost every year uh, for the last 15 years. And then the flip side of that was the state governments got all this money with no strings attached, you know, as to how they were going to spend it. So you fast forward 20 years and we find out now with all the data that's come in that states have reaped billions of dollars of basically tax revenue because 
it wasn't mandated that they spend it on public health or tobacco prevention. A lot of the money just went to plug state budgets, to fund pet projects. So you've kind of got this, you know, cozy relationship between big tobacco and big government where they're both profiting basically on the back of the average cigarette smoker. And, you know, I'm sure there's not a lot of people who have a ton of sympathy for the average, you know, smoker in society, but that's kind of the way the agreement worked out. And I think that's a big reason why there's a lot of incentives to prevent that money from going away. Um, And that would be going down the conspiracy path. So I'll kind of cut myself short on that one. Going at this from another angle too, or just again, trying to understand what's going on here. What I wanted to ask you, we've kind of talked about how, and in your, I think implicit in your article is that if vaping sticks around, regulations might actually be to, again, also play out to Altria's benefit as an incumbent to some degree via Juul. But I'm also curious about cannabis here. How does this fit in? It was, it didn't come up in your article, but what I'm curious about is potentially, is this a opportunity? Is it a threat? When you look at a chart of Altria's PE ratio and there could be some wonkiness here in terms of the uh, what's, you know, one-time expense or whatever else, but it's actually still a little bit higher than it's been in the last three years. And it seems like that might've been a, I don't know if that was related to the vaping exposure or whatever else. I'm just curious if like there's a threat working from cannabis or if conversely, that's an industry that they can get into that will expand their, you know, as a smoking company, I guess, more broadly. I'm just, does that at all factor into what you're doing here? Yeah, I think that's, that's one of those things that's, it's highly speculative. I mean, Altria has gotten their leg in the door in the industry with their Kronos investment last year. But at this point, it's just, I think it's just way too early in the game. I mean, we really don't know a, if or when, I think legalization is probably coming to the US, but it's really hard to tell when and what it's going to look like. And I'm hesitant to really project. I think that's potential upside long term for Altria. I don't see how it's a threat necessarily, because again, for me, the big value anchor for this company is just the core tobacco business. And yeah, I think they have upside from cannabis. It's really hard for me to, I mean, when it comes to that, it's, we're talking about, you know, again, it's a commoditized product and, you know, will Altria be the company that develops the next powerhouse cannabis brand? I think maybe, but for me, it's just, I can't really factor that in because it's such a huge unknown. I think that it'll be years before we can even start potentially modeling that in anywhere in the kind of earnings expectations. Um, but I, I don't see that as a threat necessarily. I just see that as maybe potential upside long term. I'd also just add this triggered my own thoughts and my own personal experience as someone who's had both cannabis and nicotine that cannabis is not a substitute for nicotine for someone who's a real smoker. You want the nicotine, I think. So yeah, just absolutely. from a kind of substitutability perspective, I think they're sort of distinct chemical needs or in the case of cannabis maybe kind of i don't know they're distinct chemicals I <laughs> as, just as like, mike uh, pointed yeah, out before, I, I would agree before the podcast a lot if i ask any questions here i'm kind of telling on myself as far as my daniel's sector, a clean living guy. sector yeah. expertise <laughs> is quite low on this front so 
you're not the Peter Lynch of cigarettes. And, uh, except through my, cigarettes. except through my father, I guess I can, I have some experience there, but that's yeah. it. So yeah. Yeah. Congratulations to him for uh, laying off the cigarettes. I also am I'm proud to say that I have not uh, had a cigarette since for two and a half months. So mm. yeah. Listeners out there, it's possible uh, if you want to quit. Atlas, on the other hand, I'll just read a passage from your article real quick. Uh, and I'm quoting now. As a brief aside, I'm not a regular smoker, but I went ahead and smoked an entire pack of Marlboro 27s, followed by the mint-flavored Jewel and finally the tobacco-flavored Jewel, the sacrifices I make in the name of financial research. So... Was that all in one sitting? And if so, are, are you okay? How's your heart doing, man? <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was uh, it was spaced out over, I'd say, a couple of weeks. So I, th- I think I'm I'm still I'm still upright as of current uh, <laughs> current time. I guess that makes it's a deeply researched article. But maybe if you're fueled by that much nicotine, you could could get it all. Yeah, it really all helps. Done in like I think, 48 hour period. Yeah. They, <laughs> <laughs> just chain smoking as i'm furiously typing away at my keyboard yeah it was uh they they do say that conspiracy theories yeah exactly i think yeah that scene kind of works i guess um the yeah they they say that nicotine has really high nootropic properties so and i believe that too um so i will say that it definitely helps in there and it probably is the reason why this article turned into five thousand words and i originally thought it would be maybe a thousand words so i'll blame the nicotine on that one so sticking with the premise that nicotine is good and a good anchor for the business, we were curious about the economics of vaping versus tobacco cigarettes. And we're not really familiar with any differences in kind of margins or how the operations might be distinct from one another. My guess would just be that uh, tobacco cigarettes have better better gross margins but then i think about the in-store experience of buying vaping products and i'm no longer really sure it seems like they're priced similarly with similar pricing power but i wonder what your perspective is on the sort of differences to the extent that there are any between vaping and uh tobacco in terms of from the sort of shareholder business perspective yeah, I think so. We don't know exactly what the vaping margins are because, you know, Juul is still a private company. But there is a report that was released, I think, by Axios was the one who reported it originally that um, that Juul currently has, I think, 70 percent EBITDA margins on their vaping business. And so that that would be significantly. I mean, that's it's definitely higher than uh, traditional tobacco. And I think one of the big things is that they don't have the MSA payments associated with their um product right so if you when you buy a pack of cigarettes i forget the exact oh it's interesting yeah the exact that is one of the competitive advantages because someone i think has i'm not sure where this data came from but basically like one one jewel pod of the five percent nicotine concentration is roughly equivalent to a pack of cigarettes but the national average pack of cigarettes is approaching seven dollars now and a big chunk of that is both um excise taxes and MSA payments, whereas you can buy one jewel pod for five bucks today. So I think a big part of, you know, the, the appeal to vaping is it's actually cheaper for the consumer. 
And especially if you kind of, I think you can do it even cheaper. People are by, you know, doing your own, they have these things called open source vaping products where you, you have your little device and you can, you know, manually top off your, and I think people are even making their own mixtures with, you know, it's kind of a dangerous thing because nicotine is actually a toxic chemical if you come into direct contact with it. But, you know, because of... (laughs) (laughs) Unlike putting it in your lungs. Yeah, well... (laughs) I think it's it's acutely toxic if you happen to touch too much of it. I, I don't know the exact details, but um, right if it's concentrated. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the bottom line from a sort of shareholder perspective, and I think you could, you know, if because of you know if you take seventy percent gross margins on Jules products and you extrapolate the historical growth rate, and I was kind of playing around with the numbers, you could actually justify in a hyper growth scenario the the valuation that Altria paid for it. But I think that a that growth rate's probably not sustainable given the current regulatory backlash, and you have retailers like Kroger's taking them off the shelves now in Walmart. Um, so I think that growth rate's going to slow. But if they able to maintain those margins, it could be a highly profitable business in the future. But the second caveat is we're most likely. My opinion is you know the states are going to lose a ton of money if there's a widespread shift from cigarettes to vaping. And I think that's kind of this hidden, you could, you could call it a hidden agenda. I don't know if I would go that far. Some people have, but I think what you're going to see is a move to, if vaping is allowed to exist, there's going to be some heavy taxes and maybe even an MSA style damage payment associated with it. And there might be a justification for it. Like, you know, we don't know what the current damages are, but you need to start setting aside some money to deal with it. Whatever they use to justify it. I think you're going to see a move by regulators and by government, you know, state politicians to impose both higher taxes and some kind of potential damage equivalent so that vaping is eventually on par with cigarettes in terms of how much actual sort of tax revenue it generates. That's kind of my prediction. So I think the margins are kind of up in the air, you know, at this point. Uh-huh. Interesting. But there is a possibility for convergence there. I think so. So I I want to kind of put a final touch on this discussion with just a sort of higher level question about the stock and the fundamentals of the business and valuation to sort of tie it all together. So what's your what's your higher level pitch on the long-term business model for Altria and the valuation for the stock? Yeah, so I think the easiest way to think about the potential sort of return of Altria from current levels is just, I would just take the current dividend. Well, first I would think about what's the business capable of generating. And in my view, I think a right now, the current dividend is solid. Even if they take a big write down on jewel, I think, you know, in a worst case scenario, they they could, if they had to, they could liquidate the Budweiser stake, which is they currently own about 10% of Budweiser, which is almost it's approaching $20 billion in value. So assuming that the dividend stays intact, which I think it probably will. And then assuming that the current underlying business, whether it's tobacco, whether there is some contribution from vaping, um, management, I think right now is guiding for a long-term earnings per share growth of between seven to 9%. And I'll just be conservative. And I say, I think long-term they could probably hit mid single digits. So maybe four to 5% as a conservative target, assuming for 
you know, write downs on Juul and whatever else might come, maybe some extra regulatory cost. So if you just take the current 8% dividend add in, and the other big part of this thesis is management is committed to paying out a fixed 80% of earnings per share through the dividend, right? So you can just, whatever your expectation is for EPS growth, you can just scale that, scale the dividend growth alongside the growth in the EPS. So I think if you take the current 8% dividend, add maybe 4 to 5% growth, then you should be able to compound at around you know 12 to 13% assuming that they can maintain four to five percent earnings growth going forward. And I think in today's equity market, opportunities like that are extremely rare. And um, that's why I'm particularly, this is one of my highest conviction ideas, because I see that, you know, going forward, it seems like a 12 to 13 percent rate of return is, is pretty high probability for Altria. Yeah, I like that. Daniel. Got anything else for our, our friend Atlas Research here? Uh, no, I think it's I, – I mean, it, this sounds to me like a classic – beyond what Mike said about the classic case of a value story where a stock sells off and said, oh, well, multiple. It seems also like, you know, for those who are interested in what a sin stock is, right? The, the PE is low due to the headlines and to the associations, but – when you're starting from a lower price, you have, assuming other things are in order, you have higher expected returns over time. I mean, is that sort of a fair way to summarize this? Yeah, that's exactly how I would summarize it. And I think that, um, you know, people that are maybe frustrated that the share price is so low, I, I would just say that as if your plan is to hold this kind of long term and, and reinvest dividends, all things equal, you would prefer that the share price goes nowhere and you just get to compound those dividends over time. So it's kind of my hope that the share price doesn't start, you know, ratcheting higher over time before they can start reinvesting dividends, buying back shares. Um, I think the best thing that all tree investors can do is just forget the noise, even forget the share price. Just look at is the underlying business continuing to generate profit growth? And if it is, then just, you know, sit quietly and, and collect a, a higher rate of dividends over time. And I think that's um, that's that's the best strategy is just don't worry about the share price. Focus on the business. It's funny how hard that is for us as investors, because we're <laughs> you, we're all looking at what everybody else is doing. We're always marking to market. We're looking at what the S&P is doing and, you know, you're article argues that this is going to outperform the S&P, but it's, and that's all real. It's all like that opportunity cost of what else you could be doing. But at the same time, yeah, if, if the stock is growing, if the company is growing, if the company's business prospects look promising and continue to play out in theory, that's all that matters. And I mean, as well as did I pay a price that gives me a chance for reasonable return over time? But yeah, like we get... If it doesn't happen today, we get frustrated. So I hear that. Yeah, exactly. And so I guess I should caveat when, when I say beat the S&P, I'm, I'm talking mostly about I'm actually thinking more along the lines of the dividend growth, the total return stream. And I probably should have caveated that. Like, I don't expect the share price necessarily to to beat the S&P, although that would I guess that'd be nice in theory, but just on a total return basis alone. Right. Cool. All right. Cigarettes, vaping, 
the youth, the vaping youth. No big deal. Alice Research, I, I think this is a great article, a really fun idea, and uh, thank you very much for coming on and sharing it with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thanks so much, Alice. All right. All right, guys. Well, uh, let's, let's end it there. Thanks for listening to Behind the Idea. We hope you enjoyed this. Any feedback about us skipping the episode where we talk amongst ourselves and go straight to the end? Email us at btipod at seekingalpha.com. Have a chance to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes? We'd love it if you took that chance the way Atlas Research took this long position. Wholeheartedly. This has been Seeking Alpha Production. Thank you for listening. See you next week. I'm back here.